0: Part of the matter 2.0. Our show tonight is titled "Which Jesus?" There's a byline to that. I want to add: carnal questions aimed at generating disputes and strife. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, uh, need you and seek you, love you uh, in our lives. Where y- y- you make life more abundant, and you bring us that joy that is with us through the ups and downs. Uh, we praise your name collectively, individually. And uh, just uh, pray that you'll be with us, help people who are seeking truth, that they'll find it, the things I say, constantly wrong, uh, Lord, that that will just be filtered out. But the things that uh, I'm able to say by the Spirit that are right, that they'll be taken in and considered and used by you in whoever hears them. We are uh, grateful for our staff and our volunteers to keep things going uh, behind the scenes. Bless them and be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, before we get into my responses uh, to the online questions, we had uh, a a graph that was put online, and uh, below the graph, it says, uh, it it compared what the author of this graph says was the biblical Jesus, and next to it was the postmodern Jesus, and uh, underneath that graph, it says, uh, which do you think Sean McCraney teaches, I think it says teaches or preaches or follows or Uh, Somehow I inhaled a hair. (laughs) Got it. That is not part of the presentation. Uh, There's hairs floating around in here. Someone is shedding. Anyway, uh, so we're going to talk about that. But before we do it, I think it's important that I preface something so you can understand why I couch my responses in the following manner. So let's go to the whiteboard, and we're just going to lay something out really quickly. And that is the traditional view of the Bible. We go into this, Dave. We go into you. The traditional view of the Bible is the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's how most people read it. And we go Genesis through uh, Malachi, and uh, boy, there's the Old Testament. And it's full of the law and the prophets. And then we have the New Testament, and typically people say, that's Matthew uh, through Revelation. And we have Jesus, his speaking, we have the apostles, and, uh, and there it is. We have the Old and the New Testament. And that's the traditional view that Christians will just say and speak about um, as they talk about the Bible. But I want to show you another way to see the Bible, which is far better it's far more contextual. It is um, the way people should be reading the Bible, in my opinion. And I think any uh, scholar, I'm not a scholar, but a scholar would agree with that. And it would look like this We have the Old Testament. Someone took my pen. That one stinks. Okay, a wild show tonight. Let's start off with that hair. Uh, we have the Old Testament. And that would consist of, are you ready? We have Genesis through Malachi. And then we have um, uh, the intertestamentary period. That's the 400 years between what is typically called the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now that's not part of the Old Testament uh, written. But it is part of the history, Antiochus Epiphanes, and all sorts of stuff that happens during the silent period when the prophets are silent, uh, so to speak. And then we open up with more of the Old Testament, and that is Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, or the Gospels. And then I would suggest we even have more of the Old Testament, and this is up to debate, but it begins, uh, it continues somewhere between Acts one through acts nine you might still consider part of the old testament simply because it is god working through uh, reaching the nation of israel without the gentiles being officially invited so i would suggest definitely this one's questionable and can be debated but this one the gospels is definitely part of the old testament and when jesus came and was training his apostles And was talking, the things he said are couched in an Old Testament narrative. That is who he came to. If you lose that, then you start messing up of of how to follow Jesus. When we come to the New Testament, what we have is from about Acts uh, 10 through Revelation. and, um, And then, once we get that under our belt, and we have that New Testament, this was Paul primarily, and it was the other apostles too, but primarily we have Paul reaching out to the Gentiles and telling them to get ready. Telling the church to get ready to prepare the end is coming. This was Jesus, first John the Baptist, and Jesus saying, uh, prepare and get ready. Remember when John the Baptist, the preparer of the Messiah, came, and the first thing that came out of his mouth uh, was, hey, the axe is laid at the tree. That is, that is uh, Hebraic imagery of saying, the tree's going to be chopped down. Prepare the way for the Lord. It was all a warning here in the Gospels under the Old Testament. And then when Paul starts preaching, his messages are also prepare. The end is on its way. Uh, change, accept, be prepared. The whole thing. And then we come to what I would say is the fulfill. I don't even know if you spell it with that many L's fulfillment the fulfillments of all of this it's all completely fulfilled and that was fulfilled at his promised return okay and at his promised return there are all sorts of things in the new testament that tell us what will that will that will include and that includes that he will write his laws on our hearts and in our minds And uh, no man will teach his neighbor, for all will know him. And it is a spirit-led church uh, body, I should say. Uh, uh, Christ came and took the church. On and on and on and on and on. So the fulfillment. So if you start seeing scripture in that way, it's going to help you understand what I'm about to say now uh, relative to this thing that was posted online about what Jesus I teach. Okay, you guys, do your job. Now, we're going to go to the board in just a second again, and we're going to show you uh, what uh, this thing said, what Jesus does Sean McCraney actually support. As we go through it, I want you to recognize a few things as we talk. What the author has done is they've created some kind of, of a list about what the postmodern Jesus apparently is looks like and what the uh, true biblical, that's how they put it, the biblical Jesus looks like. So they've set you up with loaded language, and they say, which one does Sean McCraney uh, uh, teach? As I stated last week, uh, it's loaded language, and it is there to win arguments, it's not there to really discover truth. It's there to pit one side against another. And the person who used this chart, I don't think they're the ones who created it, they're, they're simply pharisaical. That's what they've done with this chart. And they, they've created this us versus them mentality by using these two sides of Jesus. It's an either or. When you read it, you're gonna see how either or it is. It's not a little of this and a little of that, reasonably describing Jesus. It's either this or that. It's one or the other. And if you look to anything on this side, then you're not part of that side, etc. So let's go to the board and let's look at what the list says. That that person said, uh, the list that person posted this, and it says that the biblical Jesus one, born as God Almighty in the flesh. And then warns of sin, judgment, and hell, and commands repentance of sins, gives you salvation, hope, peace, and joy, hated and despised by the world, hates sin and exposes the truth about sin, commands with divine authority, offends the world with the truth, brings division when necessary, preaches God's righteousness, exalts God the Father's will, warns of false signs and wonders, magnifies God's word, demands that emotion, experience, and opinion conform to sound doctrine. And number 14, commands you deny yourself and allow Christ to work in you. That is what they call the biblical Jesus. And then on the other side, we have the postmodern Jesus. I'm not going to go to where postmodernism comes from. It's used both in uh, religion, it's used in literature, it's used in architecture, it's used in all sorts of things. But the postmodern Jesus is born as a man who was promoted to deity. Listen to the slanted language. Never says anything negative. Never. Anything negative. Uh, Disregards repentance of sins. Gives you health, wealth, and happy feelings. um, Loved and accepted by the world. Condones sin and never corrects you of your sins. Gives suggestions instead of commandments. Hates to offend and loves political correctness. Promotes unity and tolerance at all costs. Preaches only on love. Serves your will, not the Father's will. Why that your comes in into this, I don't know why. Exalts signs and wonders and mysticism above God's word. Exalts emotion, experience, and opinion over sound doctrine. Encourages you to love yourself and to gratify all your fleshly desires. So there is the postmodern Jesus. And the guy posts this thing. And he says, which one does Sean McCraney teach? Now, I got to tell you, and I would bet this guy has never watched a full campus teaching. We spend two hours a week going verse by verse through the Bible on Sundays. It's called campus. They're all seen online. They're all there. Never has this person ever, what they do is they watch the show where it's a completely different hat we're wearing. We're talking about religion and what happens with religion and what can be improved upon and where there's failures. We're not talking about the good news here. This is a a, a streaming show to discuss the errors and problems with organized religion. So this Pharisee watches this show and determines that I am a postmodern Jesus promoter. Okay. So let's go through them and let's talk about them. I'm going to hit this one first and then its response. And then that one and its response, and we'll go back and forth till we finish it. Born as God Almighty in the flesh. Now, this is going to be the biggest topic to nail me on, because they're going to listen really carefully to what I have to say about it. I will respond without hyperbole and with what Scripture says. With what Scripture says. Never does Scripture say Jesus is God Almighty. In fact, it says Jesus is Lord and Savior. And God the Father is the God Almighty. That's what the New Testament says all through it. It never uses the phrase God Almighty toward Jesus. I follow the scripture. Some man decided to call Jesus God Almighty in the flesh there. And and so they've used it on this side to push everybody into a corner of, you better believe he's God Almighty, even though he didn't know the hour or day when he was going to come back. Okay, we we say that, right? So, uh, Scripture does not say or attribute this phrase to Jesus. But it does say, Jesus is God with us. I believe that. It does say that he was the word of God made flesh. And the word was God. I believe that. And it does say that he had the fullness of God in him. I believe that. But that is not the slant of God Almighty. There's a different and the difference. And the New Testament writers always called the Father God, God Almighty, the only true and living God, and his Son, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. There's a differentiation in Scripture itself. I would say Jesus is the Word of God Almighty made flesh. That's how I would put it. If that's not satisfactory to you, phenopole. I don't care. Okay, postmodern Jesus, listen to the slant. Born as a man who was promoted to deity. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it's just comical what these fools, these Pharisees who try to trip you up. Promoted to deity? Uh, again, Pharisaical slant. No, Jesus was not promoted to deity. Sean McCraney, absolutely no, not promoted to deity. But, Scripture does say that the man, Yeshua, was born of a woman, born under the law, by, he, uh, he learned obedience through the things he suffered, right? That it was only at his resurrection that he was, uh, that God said, this is my beloved son, there, and at his baptism, but at his resurrection, my only begotten son is used. Um, so, I would say that because of his flesh, remember, he was God with us, he was less than God Almighty. And he learned as a man to grow by the uh, obedience to his Father and to overcome his flesh all the way to the point that he submitted himself to the cross, even though he didn't want to. And that at his resurrection, he was bestow- it was bestowed upon him as a man Fully, God in His flesh to, to the status that He reached wasn't promoted. It's what He did for us. That is purely New Testament. Okay. So, uh, number two warns of sin, judgment, and hell. Of course, He did. Of course, He did. But the question is: Remember the uh, the earlier drawing? Who did He warn of judgment? and hell, and sin. Look at the Gospels. Who did Jesus say I only came to? The house of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who Jesus came to. He did not come to me, a Gentile. He didn't come to, he came for the world, but he didn't come to me. He came to them. And so to them he was preaching judgment and sin, and a coming destruction, and for them to repent and believe on him, right? That's the context of it, to read those words in the Gospels as if he was speaking to us today is such a misleading, such a horrible thing to do to people, because it doesn't apply to us in the way it was meant to them. Jesus did not not come to Jerusalem to warn you, the reader, uh, of sin and coming judgment and hell he came to warn them. And in coming to Israel, he warned his own. And, but the message to us is he paid for sin, overcame sin and death. We believe on him and we are the beneficiaries of his, of God's grace. Okay. So that's pretty uh, simple. Now the opposite of that is he never says anything negative. (laughs) You know, I would never say that. In fact, I personally have a disdain for people who taught, I don't like the post if that's what postmodernism is, it really angers me. Because I say negative things all the time, and, and people say Jesus would never say that, and I would say yes he did. Read Matthew 22 and 23. He said woe to you, you hypocrites. He said woe you, you vipers. He said all sorts of stuff negative. So to say that I would preach a Jesus like that is so unfounded. Whoever posted this, you, you Pharisee, you Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, wake up. Do you actually think I would teach that, that Jesus never says anything negative? But that being said, what Jesus did do was always couched in love. So if he called someone a hypocrite, it was out of love. He wanted them to somehow react to that comment so that they would love. And that he would they would know his love. He was not... Uh, hateful toward them like you are hateful he was not hateful he was full of love but he was strong and he was stern in telling them and talking to them so while he would certainly speak harshly with the house of israel and especially the religious rulers of that day remember when he said negative things i can't think of any time where he was that negative unless it was to the religious rulers of his day or to peter and maybe maybe john and maybe andrew uh, when they were trying to boast for what, where they could be in the kingdom. But th- that's the only time he ever said anything negative, and it was to the religious leaders, which is what you represent, Pharisees. You're a Pharisee. You represent the very people Jesus despised. But to the sinful, which this thing is all slanted toward getting on the sinful, he was loving and kind, completely. He had understanding for them. So don't say that I don't say Jesus never said anything negative, but if I promote the fact that to us today, having overcome sin and the flesh and the grave, and he's done everything, uh, I think the only thing that really probably ticks Jesus off anymore are religious rulers who use his name to make people feel badly. So consider that as an answer. Commands repentance of sins. Oh, this is a huge one. I mean, whoever wrote this should be a Mormon because that's what Jesus was all about. You got to come and repent of your sins. Again, context to the nation of Israel under the law, given the oracles, the prophets, the law, Moses, David, the history, the guiding light during the day, the shadow by day, the pillar by night, the children of Israel needed to repent. And so when John the Baptist came and said, repent, and Jesus said, repent, they were talking to what? That audience, like I showed on the board. Uh, They had all those things, and there was a a, a necessity for them to repent. So, of course, he and John the Baptist and his apostles would have a message of repentance to them, indicated by water baptism. Uh, But to the Gentiles, the message was believe. Believe believe first, then you'll repent, believe, and then you'll repent, why wasn't it repent first, because if it was repent first, what are we repenting of, we had no law, and it's the law that makes us sinful, there's no law, we don't have a law, so how could we repent, so it was to us through Paul, believe, and when you believe, you will repent, of what, and what does that mean, that comes over here, disregards repentance of sins, uh, Okay, it works like this, and I think you know it, but I'll cover it. That line, disregards repentance of sins, is not true. Christ's followers repent of their sins. But it's entirely different from the context of repentance of sins that he commanded the nation of Israel to participate in. We first come to faith experience redemption, and then because of gratitude, we are led by the Spirit to change our minds about our former lives, about the current sins that we commit, and and the lives we had lived. There is no disregarding of repentance in Christ, but there's an entirely different order and driver behind it to Gentiles. And so... and then, if, then we have to ask, what do Christians repent of? Now, this is going to get your little panties in an uproar, because I'm going to tell you what Christians repent of. It's not sin, which you keep speaking of in here. Sin has been taken care of. It, we have a debt on the ledger, and Christ, bam, stamped it, met, fulfilled, paid, done. Done. So our focus as Christians is not on sin, because we all have it, including you, Pharisees. You have sin too, in your secret little conniving, filthy thoughts. You have sin too. But you see, that's not going to go away. What does go away is our drive toward it by the Spirit. So what we do is when we fail in our flesh and we sin, what happens is we repent for our lacking faith. My neighbor uh, offends me. I, get reta- I retaliate to that neighbor. That, then I go and repent. What do I repent of? For not allowing God to manage my neighbor. For not allowing my faith in God to handle all things to take over. Instead, I stepped in and did it. You see, so we repent for our lack of faith and or our lack of failing to love. I didn't love my neighbor when he offended me. I instead took it out on my neighbor. That's how you're repenting as a Christian. It's not for the sin... It's for the sin of faithlessness and failing to love. All right? The next one. Gives you salvation, hope, peace, and joy. Duh. Thank you for that. We agree. Uh, but over on this side, it gives you health, wealth, and happy feelings. <laughs> Who is this? Who is the guy? Who preaches this guy? Health, wealth, and happy feelings. Hey, I have never intimated that Jesus would give anybody health, wealth, or happy feelings. Uh, It's the antithesis to what I stand for when it comes to Christ. So if you ask if I believe that side of it, health, wealth, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, from Jesus, you're insane. He promised difficulty when you embrace him. And you walk and you bear your cross and those who suffer with him will be made joint heirs. So don't ever try that one. Number five, hated and despised By the world, will, of course, and so you're already beginning to see I certainly lean to this side. I lean completely to this side, but with some exceptions, the way it's worded and how they're trying to slant it. And then there are things on this side that should be incorporated, right? So look at the world hates the light. He's the light that came into the world. Why does the world hate the light? Jesus said, because it loves the darkness more than the light. We like our deeds of darkness more than we like the light. And so we don't love him, the light that came into the world. We love our dark deeds. It's simple. Loved and accepted by the world. That's the opposite over there. Never, never have I ever taught this. But I do believe that all under this loved and accepted by the world. I do believe scripture when it says uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ. And I believe the other scripture that says, and no man can confess this, but by the Holy Spirit, meaning it's not just going to be, I've got to confess it. I'm, I'm in hell and I'm going to burn forever, but I got to confess it. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus Christ. Okay. Got it. Go ahead. Burn me up. No, it's going to be the Holy Spirit moves that person to say, he's Lord. I give up. I wave the white flag. All right. He's Lord, he's Christ. And I don't think it's going to come through any hell uh, 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 thing. I think it's going to come by the Holy Spirit within them. After this life, I will say it. I think that God is always reaching, calling, dragging, moving to bring all because he's going to have the victory. So you can see so far how on the chart devious minds are at work with their slanted words. And when the person says, which Jesus, Sean McCraney teaches... It was a classic Pharisaical move. Deviously, I can see. What's that? What's that guy uh, Newman on Seinfeld? The character that Newman plays in movies. That's how I see whatever creature this is that's coming up with this. <laughs> oh, what can I come up with now to say Sean McCainy does? <laughs> <laughs> Newman. Hates sin and exposes the truth about sin. <sighs> Again, we're looking at slippery words of a Pharisee. Of course, Jesus hates sin. Sin, it is harmartia. It is off the mark. It's, you're missing the target. And the target is God and the glory of God. When you sin, you are going away from God. Of course, Jesus hates sin. But he loves us so much, he paid for sin. Don't forget that in your stuff about him hating sin that you can throw down on people. He loved us so much he paid for that sin. Don't forget that side to it. That's the important part about it. So it becomes less about sin and more about him. And then on the other side, condones sin and never corrects you of your sin. Well, I got to say that he does correct and I'm not in disagreement with this in scripture, but he corrects certain sins far more aggressively than he does others. I mean, he catches a woman in adultery, if that story is absolutely correct. There's a question on that. And he says, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But he spends an entire chapter and a half railing on the religious leaders. He gives us parables about the religious leaders walking along and seeing a Samaritan beaten up, one a Levite, one a priest, and passing on the other side of the road. He tells us a story about a guy in a temple. One was saying, why? I fast, and I pay tithes, and I do this. And the other one says, "Woe to me, a sinner. And he says, that second guy goes to heaven more justified than the first. That's the Jesus I know. You're trying to, you're trying to uh, say hate sin and exposes the truth about sin, again, in your, your way. But in reality, we are all sinful, and he came, and he loved us, and he took care of it. And he was very patient and long, kind and long-suffering with people in sin. He would say, go and do it no more, certainly. He doesn't like it. It's missing the mark. But he, he was there to save us, right? The other side is that that owns sin and never corrects you, and... Where sins of the flesh have been taken care of, our focus now is him as our victor. And it's on him and our faith in him as Lord and Savior. And uh, living lives of holiness. Living sanctified lives. Don't ever, ever accuse me of not teaching that we don't bear fruit of the Spirit. and We bear fruits of love. And we try to allow God to pulse through our lives so that we will walk in the sanctification of his spirit. Don't ever paint me over here as some uh, person who justifies sin. Uh, The reason I hate sin, uh, in the the sense of fleshly failures, if we're going to call it that, is that it hurts people. That's the only reason. You know, it hurts people. Someone who is sinning is hurting others, and they're hurting themselves typically. So that's why I hate it. But I don't hate the sinner as you are starting to come through here. Commands with divine authority. Uh, he did, and he does even more so now, having overcome all things. Give suggestions rather than commandments over there. Give suggestions. Uh, the real question behind this strange phrasing is what is in the author that it, are, are making them paint this ugly version over here of Jesus? That he walked around suggesting things but never commanding. What is in them that they want to portray Jesus as in this way? What's so negative that they're trying to, uh, to bring about? I am sensing a real push for works righteousness in this. That I'm sensing this works righteousness that is permeating this, this thing here. And that's what's being said behind the scenes. And uh, good luck with that. No, Jesus didn't give any suggestions. He, he spoke the truth with divine authority, but the g- g- commands he gave were two, summarized by John in 1 John uh, chapter 3. Believe on him and love God and each other. Jesus really said, just uh, here a new commandment I give you to love each other. You know, so we don't throw that side out about his love. We incorporate that right in over here with all this other stuff. Offends the world with the truth. Of course he did. Just like I offend you, you Pharisaical pigs, with the truth. You can't stand it. And, and you sit there and, and you get offended at my words and you call me terrible. And you're, yet you're using the, the fact that Jesus offends the world with the truth. You're double-sided. You're Hippocrates. You're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. You say, I do. You're doing it more than ever. Hates to offend and loves political correctness. God, again, another agenda here. Look at, uh, we know he, he wasn't even political, so I'm not going to even address that. Now, look, listen to this one, number nine. This one is really gets in my craw. Brings, <laughs> wherever the craw is, <laughs> brings division when necessary. Uh, I, uh, I think division is, I have a concern about this, brother. I am thinking that division is necessary now. In Jesus' name, we must have division. You see, uh, listen to the language th- this, this person's using. Brings division when necessary. Uh, why is this important to the writer? What is in them But they want to point out that Jesus brought division? We know there's division in Christ. We know you go to the party and you start talking about Jesus at the punch bowl that everyone leaves you. We understand that his name is not loved by the world, but this thing, whatever this is up here, is a divisive piece of rhetoric uh, and is aimed at dividing in his name and justifying dividing in his name, because while he did separate, he did it in love, and it was always in order to bring back a person, if that ever happened by him or his apostles, promotes unity and tolerance at all costs, you got to add that one in there, you see. Again, this is language of those who want to control with rhetorical tools. This thing is aimed at promoting an ideology from the mind of people who hate to love all. They can't stand the idea of having to love all. And so they live in a world that they have justified in their mind in Jesus' name that they can bring divisions when necessary. They can do that. Because it's necessary to segment that side out and this side out to keep our group pure. Not realizing that the Holy Spirit is in charge. People who love Christ who have different opinions. They're loved as much by Christ as those who are united in their opinions. And this this one bugs me the most out of all of them to tell you the truth. Because you can read between the lines. Remember what Paul said in Romans 12. Do we dis- disregard this? He said... If it's possible, and as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. All men. And and that says so much about the heart of Paul and, and of course, Jesus. Uh, Preaches God's righteousness. Of course he did. That's the whole point. He preached God's righteousness to the house of Israel. They said, how can we do it? With God, uh, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Look to me. So, of course, he did. Preaches only love. There it is. There's that, there's that fear again. Love. Love. They don't, they don't like that word. We had a Calvinist, Five Point Calvinist, up here on the stage a few years ago, and we asked him if he loved somebody in the audience, and his response was, I don't know him. Isn't that amazing? That if you don't know somebody, you can't say that you love them. That is the mindset of and, and this is being propagated, I'm certain by uh, uh, a pharisaical Calvinists. That's, that's, who, that's who our Pharisees are this day, are the Calvinists, by the way. They are the ones walking about in their robes and picking the rules and making sure they police everybody to make sure everybody is in line with the correct doctrines and words. And if you say, "I love Jesus and have been saved," well, that's just not enough. We need to make sure you have the right Jesus. And you have the right words, or else, boy, we're just not going to let you into that kingdom, you see. It's a, it's a scary, frightening, pharisaical order, These most of these Calvinists. But, having said that, you got to make the context. We accept the Calvinists, love them, got to love them, because they're as faulty as we are. It's just the principle of the thing I'm going to speak against, because I don't see it producing the great fruit of love that Christ taught. Uh, exalts God the Father's will, amen, live the will of the Father perfectly, totally can't, what are you going to say? Of course he did. Serves your will, don't know why it says your again, should say serves, uh, or I guess it's a postmodernist, serves his own will, not the will of the Father. If anyone on earth teaches that Jesus taught that men should serve their own will, run as far away as you can from them. It has never, ever been about the, the human will. It's always been about the will of God. It's preached. It's taught by me constantly. His message was the opposite. Serve God. Die to self. Not self-will. Anyone who suggests that I teach otherwise is a liar. Flat out. Just watch any verse-by-verse verse we teach. And even heart of the matter. i would never teach serve your own will. But what maybe is getting mixed here, lines crossed, is that when I meet somebody who says, well, I just don't see Jesus that way. It's one of those hairs, or it's a spider web. Maybe that's what got in my throat. Uh, I just don't understand God that way. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's talk about that. Well, we love you, brother. Maybe they're thinking that's what is happening, is that I'm, I'm saying, follow your own will. It's okay, because I say the faith is subjective. you got to understand, though, that I am, I am, God's will is completely objective. He is not some uh, person out there floating around with different ideas. He is completely objective, but we are human and we're learning. So we have patience with people as they differ in their views. I don't agree with most of what people say, but I do understand I've been where they are and they will be where I am and vice versa, et etc. Et so that's what I'm talking about. Warns of false signs and wonders, magnifies God's word. Number 12 of 14, of course he does no discussion, exalts signs and wonders and mysticism. Do, do postmodern Christians do that? I, I mean, who are these people? They are freaks. I would like to meet one, to tell you the truth, just to hear them preach this guy. And you'd probably hear me say, well, if that's how you see him, that's your choice. You know, because it, I'm not going to change people doctrinally. I'm just going to help them through love. So whatever that means, I... I'm the last person to exalt signs and wonders and mysticism, uh, let alone if it's above God's word. Demands that emotion, experience, and opinion conform to sound doctrine. I just hate the way that's even written. Demands. Jesus demands that emotion. Stop that crying! Stop it right now! Stop that smiling! No! Demands that emotion... Experience. Don't you say you did that. And opinion. Peter is out there on the ship with Jesus. I really like these uh, styles of the Syrian ship we're on. Jesus, that is not the proper opinion. You cannot like the Syrian ship. You must love the Bethlehem ship over the Syrian. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My opinion was wrong. I mean, what are they trying to paint him as? opinion to sound doctrine I know that's the context over here exalts emotion experience I agree there there is a lot of this today and there is a lot of this today <laughs> I don't know about opinion <clears throat> I guess there's a lot of that too <clears throat> maybe that's why they say I'm guilty but I do believe when it comes to our opinions about doctrine. What they are calling sound doctrine is really tough to be known or understood. They act like sound doctrine is easy. And we have shown over and over again, you can't even give me sound doctrine on water baptism. Let alone the makeup of God. Let alone anything else you think you have sound doctrine on. So really, I guess what we're talking about here is this phrase right here, sound doctrine. That's a lie. It really is because... We can look at the Methodists, we can look at the Presbyterians, we can look at the Baptists, we can look at the Catholics, we can look at every. we can find some really great people who love God who are Mormon, and their doctrine, they can say it's sound and it's off. So really it's, do they have the faith, do they have the love, are they pursuing more clarity on doctrine? And when you walk around and talk about sound doctrine and police the flock with it, like you do on your blogs and your little websites, and you and you criticize people with your uh, handwriting, your fast little fingers typing so quickly to rip people apart with sound doctrine. You don't possess sound doctrine. You possess unsound love. Commands that you deny yourself and allow Christ to work in you. There couldn't be a more concise description of all we teach. He does command that you die to self, you take up your cross, and that you allow Christ to work in you. Christ to work through you. Um, but again, that word commands is not in harmony with the freedom that God gives all people to do. And that is to choose this day whom they will serve. You, you remember when uh, Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you were not, huh? Willing. You weren't willing. You wouldn't choose. This group are a bunch of people who think there is no such thing as free choice. That's the God they worship. So that's why they use the word like commands and demands and warns and all the fins and all this stuff. Because that's the God they worship. I give them that right. Go ahead. Have at it. Use that God. You know, I think he's a monster. They hate when I say that. That's not the biblical God to me. They put biblical Jesus up here. That's not the biblical Jesus I know. That's not the biblical God I know. The biblical God they describe as a monster in my mind and uh, in my heart. And I will never, ever embrace a God like that. So if he is that God, you're not going to be seeing me after this life. I'm going to be burning somewhere or dissolved somewhere or what, screaming somewhere to your joy. So enjoy those screams because I cannot understand that God that you're describing. And finally, over on the uh, postmodern Jesus side, encourages you to love yourself and to gratify all your fleshly desires. Uh, I've never read a line more antithetical to Jesus uh, in my entire life, ever. If postmodernists teach such a Christ, I'm at opposite ends of the spectrum. But... of course Jesus loves you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If postmodernists teach this Jesus, uh, you know, I don't know it. I don't follow it, whatever. I'm not a postmodernist. I can honestly say as anybody who attends campus more than once in their life a couple times know that uh, we teach the left side here of Jesus. This is who we teach. But with caveats and without the wordsmithing, and including the love that has been brought to us uh, because of him, and not trying to control others with words uh, who are struggling in this life and are walking a difficult path. And that he's our hope, remember? He's someone we look to with great hope because we don't have any in ourselves. And so the message is to those who struggle to be encouraged by him and what he's done for us. The message is one of of great admiration and gratitude and devotion and worship of Jesus for having come and done what he did because we can't do it. We cannot overcome our sin by ourselves. And that's that's the good news. He came and did it. So all those things are taken into account. But uh, I hope that makes it clear. We're going to go to the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. We've got John in Salisbury, Maryland, and we have somebody in Michigan, someone named Edwin. I think that's Delaney's boyfriend. John, no. Edwin, no. John, Hey, you're on the air, brother. How are you doing, brother? Good. How are you?
1: Good. I discovered your show just, you know, flipping through YouTube or the Internet like a month ago, and I just was telling your receptionist or your wife or whoever were answering the phone, you have so much integrity, man. I grew up in a church like you. I'm in my 40s, and we almost had identical backgrounds as far as timeline. Wow. I said, I just wanted to call in and say hi. I didn't really want to argue with your debate, but I... I'm still an active member of the church, but I really just wanted to call in and say, hey, as a Mormon, dude, you,
0: you just have so much integrity. It's just great, dude. Hey, well, that's nice of you. I really appreciate that, my brother. We've changed a lot. I don't know. You're probably watching the shows where we talked mostly about LDS. We've changed a lot from that. But uh, any way that we can uh, help and inspire people, we're glad we could do it.
1: No, you know, I was in and out of the church my whole life. My mom had been taught by the missionaries, and I was a missionary. And, um, you know, so she was a convert, and I was raised in the church. I'm the only boy. But when you were telling me about the 40-year background, it was almost identical. And, you know, huh. A lot of the points you bring up about tithing and, you know, how people, you know, schmooze things and, and don't and leave out stuff. Like when you were talking about the Hinkley interview and this and that. It's yeah. not that I don't agree with you about a lot of the Hinkley or Smith not saying that he had all these wives. What I did when I was 19 is I went out. I went out in the field by myself and I prayed about it. I was reading the Book of Mormon. I've read it a couple times and I read that promise in Moroni, dude. And, it, and now this is just me.
0: Yeah. And I hope I word it right. I don't know if I'm saying it right. It was
1: an epistemic certainty for me. I prayed about it and the Holy Ghost came into me. And it was like, dude, it stayed with me for three days. Like I woke up the next day and it was with me. I took a shower, went to bed, it was with me. And, I, and it was just a feeling I'd never had before. And after three days,
0: it kind of went away, and I was
1: active in church, and I became inactive a couple of times. But the only reason I stayed in church is because of that promise I made, and I know it was true for me. But I want you to know that a lot of the points you bring up about the doctrine of the church and basically the behaviors of the history of the church, I, I understand that, and I respect that, and I agree with a lot of that.
0: Thanks, John. Hey, listen, you know, um, yeah. the the uh, Book of Mormon, we have a guy who, uh, who has come out of the—actually, he's still in the church, but— uh, he's like you, but he uh, the book he uses the Book of Mormon to talk with uh, a lot of people in the church about how it is it is definitely steeped centered in so much uh, Christian theology. They use that to reach the LDS as a comparative to what is being taught presently. But and also he uses Doctrine and Covenants, which is amazing to me. But I just want to ask you, uh, sure. what has it led? you to do in your life john relative to god really in your heart what is your profession of testimony relative to god jesus holy spirit
1: relative to me personally yeah it's just knowing that he he's the savior of mankind and there's a reason i'm here there's a purpose i'm here on earth and he died for my sins i'm a sinner man Huh. i mean almost everything he said i agree with on there except the part i've never heard you talk about the book of mormon beyond i remember a dude saying to you have you ever read the whole book of mormon and i correct me wrong i think he said you hadn't and i was like i was surprised he grew up in the church why didn't he read the book of mormon
0: and ask god about the moroni Promise? i was a little baffled about that you know that that uh that statement i could have been under the influence of something i don't know Uh, a a, a burrito because i had read through it many times on the mission and and other things so uh we do, as you continue, if you continue to watch the shows, you'll see where we do a full year covering the Book of Mormon.
1: Dude, I'm going to be watching it. I'm a big fan, but I mainly would call you, and, and, and I'm embarrassed a little bit because a lot of Latter-day things call up, and they're so, uh, they're mean? so rude, dude. It's like, dude, <laughs> if you want to gain rapport, even have a conversation with somebody, even Matt Flick, I think that was his name, the guy, Flick, that you had on there. Yeah. He would gain a lot more uh, rapport with people if he'd just be respectful when he's talking to people. I felt terrible that you guys had that. Kind of you know kind of that uh falling away i was like dude mr slick you got
0: to talk to people with respect man yeah he's he actually that's his show and matt i would say that in fact i have said this to matt he's a showman so when he gets in front of an audience matt becomes a different guy when the lights and cameras are off he is really a nice guy i promise you
1: oh that's cool man yeah to hear that.
0: yeah hey listen really good to meet you john
1: Not for the show, kind of but I'm going to go back through, but I'm definitely
0: going to be watching. Awesome, man. So, really good to meet you, my brother. God bless you. You too.
1: I'll stay in contact in some way, shape, or form. Take care and have a Merry Christmas.
0: Man. You too. Bye-bye.
1: All right, brother. Bye-bye.
0: We're going to Edwin in Roseville, Michigan. Edwin?
2: Hey, Sean. How are you?
0: Good. How are you? I'm doing well. God bless you, brother. God bless you.
2: Uh, the first two things I was thinking of when I saw it were, you know, I've, I've been watching your show for a long time, uh, and you kind of covered this, but he didn't represent what you teach or believe at all. No. I mean, in fact, even before you were, when you were going after Mormonism more than uh, the modern day church, that wasn't what you taught either.
0: You no. Where, where does that and, come uh, from? I, 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 I honestly, I, I, all I can see in it is meanness or deception.
2: What I see is division. So so many people are interested in saying, like, you're either a Republican or a Democrat. You're either orthodox or wrong. Yeah. And it's it just what I really respect and appreciate about your approach is you're willing to say, I will let other people come up and teach what they believe and we will measure it according to the scriptures.
0: Amen.
3: Amen. And
2: I just really appreciate that. So... um I didn't have too much else to say. You guys sent me a book. I wanted to say thank you so much for that. That was very kind of you.
0: Which one was it?
2: Um, it was, I was a born-again Mormon, which awesome. I actually asked for. I was, I was never a Mormon, but uh, I still learned a lot from it. And awesome. it was a very good read.
0: Well, thanks, my brother.
2: Yeah. Uh, real quick, too, I wanted to say uh, you guys in your ministry have encouraged me in a lot of different ways, uh, just to love other Christians that are in different places and to love myself awesome. uh, as I grow in Christ. Uh, I really used to be trying to earn God's love, and now I'm kind of wallowing in it. Wow. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing.
0: Praise God, Edwin. I really appreciate that, my brother. It always helps. I have one question for uh, you. What's up, Brian? Where is Roseville relative to Ann Arbor? Ann Albert, not too
2: far away. I'm actually visiting my grandma tomorrow in Ann Arbor. It's about an hour drive.
0: Are you single, by chance? <laughs> I might be. <laughs> Good answer. You're a smart Christian man. Well, listen, email me and we'll get to talking and then maybe I can suddenly get a picture out of you and stuff and then find out and then maybe I'll introduce you to my daughter. We'll just have to, I'm just kidding you. Uh, <laughs> look, look forward to getting to know you, brother.
2: Hey, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Edwin. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's actually Delaney. She's in the cage right now. That's a, a really good sign because her grandfather's name is Ed. That was Edwin. Edwin. Ooh, that's how I work as a father. Mysteries and signs and... I'm just kidding. Uh, Let's go to Garrett in California. California. Garrett!
2: Okay, can try. you're on line three.
0: I'm on line one, sister.
2: No, you're on line... We're having phone issues. They're crossing.
0: She's drinking again. Is this Garrett?
2: (laughs) No. Okay.
0: Okay, not Garrett. I don't know where Garrett is in California. Line one. No phone lines now. Well wait one second, listen you guys, it's easy to be, I know I mock, I know I do faces, voices and stuff. Bottom line, you guys who came up with this and said it, if I met you, if you came here or I saw you wherever you live and you said I'm the guy who did that, I'd put my arm on you and say let's talk. I am not full of hatred toward you or anybody else. But I do believe you have to, uh, you have to meet things head on. You do have to address them head-on, and I know I can be overly aggressive, and I can say things that are insulting and, and harmful, but I mean it and, and, and I'm not in any ways likening myself to Jesus, but Jesus did that too. But I believe He was driven by love and a desire to get people to improve. That's one of the reasons I do it. It's also show. you know So try to remember that. Garrett, I'm going to try one more thing. Is this Garrett?: Do
1: believe: Nope.
0: Hold this on, is Charlie. Hold on, Charlie. Is this Garrett? Nope. Charlie, we have two minutes. Go.
3: Okay. Um, I have a question for you, and I just wanted your opinion, because I'm certainly getting enough opinions from everybody (laughs) else, the uh, so-called clan. Uh, I have a father-in-law who is passing of cancer, and uh, he is at the point in his life where he wants to take his life. Um, you know, is he going to be condemned forever if he does that, or if someone else helps him to do that, or if that situation comes to play, or is God going to open his arms to him and say, you know, well done, my faithful servant?
0: You know, uh, this is a very difficult subject. Because on the one hand, my mind, my mind says that we trust in God and allow him to handle things. But on the other hand, my heart and part of my mind says, well, we keep people alive through medicine and and oxygen. And and if we didn't help them, they would die. So we're intervening there. Uh, And I also know of cases firsthand of people who have actually helped take the life of a family member. And uh, I know that they did that out of mercy. And, uh, and, and so I, I I can't make a, uh, I don't want to make an opinion on the air just because uh, I don't want to influence one way or another. But what I will say is God is loving and merciful and pain uh, is something he does not like. That's not his product. And everybody must be guided by the spirit in what they do. And if whatever, if Jack Kevorkian walked in here and he wants to sit and be our brother, he's my brother. I don't. It's 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 a tough thing about this life, Charlie. I pray God's blessings upon you when you try to make that decision on how to handle things.
3: Well, thank you, and that's that's what I'd say also. If God God makes that choice, so be it, and it'll come to pass. But yeah, uh, other than that. Yeah, it's a real hard decision. It well, is. Thank you for your blessing. We appreciate your ministry, Sean.
0: Keep going, my brother. You have
3: a, you have a Merry Christmas.
0: Hey, Charlie, what is your uh, dad or father-in-law's name? First name? Uh, Ken. Ken. We'll we'll keep him in prayer, my brother.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Kay. God bless. Bye-bye. Uh, we have the phone lines are all let up, but I don't know if anybody's on them. Line two. My line two is your line four. There's line two, no, no, no one there. We're out of here, see you next week.